The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing your public radio source for all the techniques, strategies, news, and information you need to start or build your real estate investing business. Today is question and answer week. I know that it's not the last Wednesday of the month, which is generally when you would find question and answer week on your calendar. But for the last two months, we have had uh, the weird situation where the first Thursday is so close to the first Wednesday that we haven't done Q&A week and it's time. We're, we're doing it. We're doing it. And that means that there's no show without you. If you have a question regarding real estate investing, whether it's getting started or getting out, finding deals, wholesaling, retailing, landlording, lease options, whatever you'd like to know about, you can give us a call at 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658, or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com, that's A-S-K-V, like in Victor, E-N-A, at gmail.com, and it will come here, and I will do my darndest to answer you. The Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati has its first meeting for the month of April tomorrow night. It is about uh, two different but very hot topics. Uh, at 6 o'clock, the early meeting is uh, all about uh, note buying. And it's with a fellow named Justin Wagner, who has been a guest here on Real Life Real Estate Investing and who has been investing in notes for about five years. He's going to talk about his life in non-performing notes, um, how his various deals have worked out for him, why he is uh, hotter on the note business today even than he was five years ago. So just a success story from a successful uh real estate investor from right here in Ohio. The main meeting at 7.30 is called Six Strategies to Make Cash in Any Market. The speaker is Mr. Nick Motorelli, also a uh, guest here on Real Life Real Estate Investing recently. Uh, he is a 20-year veteran of the real estate market, and he's going to talk about uh, strategies for creating cash in both hot and cold markets. You can get more information about RIA's meetings and all the benefits of joining at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiRIA.com. 
com. And you can attend the meeting tomorrow night at 6 o'clock for the early meeting or 7.30 for the main meeting. It is at the CAA building at Langdon Farm and Reading Road here in Cincinnati. It's question and answer week here on real life real estate investing. And uh, there is, I'm literally going to just sit here and tap dance until you... uh, Give me a call at 877-772-9658 or send a question to askvina at gmail.com. And no sooner do I say that, then my inbox starts filling up with questions. So yay, listeners. Thank you so much. Uh, Let's see. Question from Scott, who does not see where he's from. Uh, He says, hoping you can share your knowledge regarding HARP and related mortgage relief and restructuring programs, especially changes to the program program since I last investigated restructuring or refinancing in 2010, but encountered a second mortgage holder who saw no reason to subordinate their second and a first who said they couldn't do anything unless the second agreed to subordinate. My property is seriously underwater with $133,000 first, a $33,000 second, and it's worth about $90,000. Have there been any changes, improvements, or alternative programs that you think could work for this situation, or am I still at the mercy of a second to subordinate? Uh, Is restructuring something the banks are eager or obligated to do as part of their hand slap? If worse comes, can I default on the second while keeping the first? I think this probably guarantees me a deficiency judgment. And actually, Paul did say that he is from Minnesota. So, uh, yeah, Scott, um, you are not probably going to be helped much by the HARP program. Uh, it's uh, it's really more for uh, folks to refinance into lower rate loans than it is to make second mortgages miraculously disappear. It depends to some extent on who your first and second mortgage holder are, what, what your next step is. Um, obviously, I'm not going to ever sit here on the radio and recommend to anyone that they default on any mortgage because I don't know enough about your personal situation, what that's going to do uh, to other things that you might be involved with, because obviously it is, in fact, going to hurt your credit. I can tell you if I were in the situation, I would approach the and 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 assuming that I wanted to keep the property and not just walk away, which is what a lot of people do in this situation. Uh, I would contact the second mortgage holder. I would tell him that you are going to be pursuing a short sale with your first mortgage holder, that they are likely to be wiped out, and what type of settlement would they like to talk about? Because uh, at this point, they may very well um, be in a position where they can and will take a lower payoff. I say that because given the extreme upside-downedness of your situation, it is possible that that second mortgage has already been sold at a discount to some note buyer somewhere who uh, isn't really 100% expecting to be paid and could take a lower payoff than the $33,000 that you are owed. In terms of your first mortgage, uh, it's much more likely that you're going to get a reduction in interest rate than it is that you're going to get a reduction in the principal. So, you have to make some choices here along with your financial and legal advisors and, of course, your uh, significant others about how badly you want to keep this house. 
Um, so you, 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 you always have the option, although, again, it will hurt your credit, uh, of simply walking away. And yes, there is a possibility of a deficiency judgment in conjunction with that. Um, on the other hand, the St. Paul market is recovering very, very nicely. So the very first thing I would do before I made any decision is go check my own comps again. And I would see what things are really selling for up there because uh, that's one of the hotter markets in the United States right now. So sorry I could not give you the uh, information you wanted, which was, oh, someone will someone will refi my loan at, you know, less than what I owe on it right now and the rest will be forgiven because that's probably not going to happen. And uh, I understand what you're saying about the second not wanting to subordinate because if you pay the first off the second would actually fall into first position and that makes them a lot better off and I understand them saying that they don't want to agree to go back into second position but uh, if you are still well and truly upside down and you indicate that one of your potential options here is to simply walk away in which case they will get paid nothing you might get some movement at this point. Uh, very good. It's a question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. Our number here in the studio is 877-772-9658. You can also send us a question via email, askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Today is question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, which means that uh, any question you have is a good one for today because <laughs> uh, I didn't walk in here with a topic. You are the topic. You tell me what you want to know by calling 877-772-9658 or by sending an email to askvina at gmail.com. Question here from Bannon, North Carolina. We just purchased a property at a foreclosure sale on the port courthouse steps. The property has federal tax liens. The IRS was notified of the foreclosure by the trustee. Does the redemption period start the day they are notified, the day the foreclosure was on the courthouse steps, the date the high bid was confirmed, which is 10 days after the auction with no upset, the day of closing? After this date, how long do they have to redeem the property? Um, typically, Van, it's going to be 180 days following the, the transfer of the title to the new buyer, and that's you. And what Van is referring to, for those of you who aren't familiar with how these things work in foreclosure sales, is that foreclosure sales don't actually eliminate all of the liens against a property. Foreclosure sales do not eliminate any liens where the lien holder was not notified. And by the way, that includes uh, potential potential owners who were not notified. So, so let's say that... Um, uh, I tri uh, I bought a property from a divorced guy who signed a quit claim deed over to me, but his wife was also on title and she did not sign the quit claim deed. And now I get foreclosed on, heavens forfend. The ex-wife, if she is not notified of the foreclosure sale, actually still owns part of that property after the foreclosure sale because she never, she never released her part to me. And therefore... I, the fact that I'm getting foreclosed on doesn't affect her piece of it. So those, can, those sorts of things can happen in uh, divorces, in estates, um, uh, badly written deeds and quit claim deeds. I've been named in uh, one or more than one foreclosure uh, for the simple reason that when I sold the property to the person who did get foreclosed on, or maybe it was two people up the line or something, uh, the 
bank doing the foreclosure or his attorneys did not like the way the deed was drawn up. And they were notifying me or naming me in the suit as a potential party, even though it wasn't my property. And uh, so, you know, they're very, very careful typically to trace down all of those possible um, ownerships that might still be hanging on. In addition to that, though, uh, federal tax liens and some sorts of state tax liens do not get erased in the foreclosure sale. They do eventually expire following the sale. But for 180 days, the IRS has the right to come back and, and unwind the sale. I mean, they, they don't they don't just come to the guy, you in this case, Van, who bought the property and say, sorry, you don't own it anymore. We own it. They have to you know, give you back what you paid for the property. Uh, and then they have the ability to auction it off or sell it themselves to try to uh, make make right to the, um, the tax lien. Now, that rarely happens on residential properties because it's, it's rare that there is enough uh, potential equity there to satisfy any part of the IRS lien. Um, the IRS does not magically come become the first position lien holders after a foreclosure uh, when they unwind the sale and give you your money back that money you know the bank's been paid right they 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 get to keep their money and uh, there has to be enough extra equity there for the IRS to look at it and say it's worth it to go through all this and we're going to get enough money to help satisfy this lien to make it worth it so you don't you don't see that too often but the thing that everyone will tell you in the case where there's an IRS lien uh, left over on a property after you bought it at sheriff sale is go try to get the IRS to just release it so that you can move on. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to go in and do a bunch of work to the property. You don't want to increase the value of the subject property in such a way that it might become attractive and my understanding is, although, again, I have never in 25 years seen the IRS step in and, and unwind one of these sales uh, to satisfy judgment, uh, I have heard that, in theory, they do not have to pay you back for any work that you have done to the property just for the purchase price. So, uh, great question, Ben. Call your local IRS office and try and get a release on that lien so that you can start the work and do what you want to do here. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. We have uh, the lines open for any questions you might have at 877-772-9658. Or you can uh, send us an email, askvina at gmail.com. Another question from Van. Uh, He says, can you place accept by dates and offers to Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae? If so, how long do you give them to respond? Van, you can put anything you want to in offers to Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, but that doesn't mean that you will ever um, get what you're looking for there. I I know what you're you're, uh, hoping for is to push a response uh, so that it doesn't take a week between the time that you make the offer and the time that they say yes or no or two weeks or whatever that number is on that particular property. Uh, but but they respond when they respond. So you, you can't you're not you're not going to succeed in getting a quicker answer or in uh, forcing them to answer you before they consider other offers, which is the other thing that you could be asking here. I know many times uh home path which is Fannie Mae's site will get three four five six offers in a week 
when a property goes on the market and uh, you know, some of them may be higher than yours and you may want them to respond to yours before considering others, but that's just not the way it works, unfortunately. Uh, you throw the offer out there and if it sticks, it sticks. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And in the meantime, you don't sit around twiddling your thumbs thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't get this offer accepted. Keep talking to other sellers and finding other deals because uh, particularly right now, unless you are offering full price and all cash on those properties, uh, your chances of getting an offer accepted on any particular house are relatively slim. A uh, question from Larry in Charlotte. See, it's Carolina Day here on Real Life Real Estate, apparently. He says, uh, what is Tony's typical out-of-pocket expense to put shadow in- inventory properties under contract? Now, this was, a, am guessing, a question that was meant for Tony Youngs, who was my guest a couple of weeks ago. And I can tell you that having um, having seen his Saturday seminar both in Columbus and in Cincinnati subsequently, Larry, uh, that his cost for putting shadow inventories under contract is like $10 earnest money because most of the ones that he deals with are people who have walked away from rental properties or uh, who, who are looking for a short sale, whether they know it or not, and they don't need enormous amounts of earnest money in order to sign a contract because they're just happy to have somebody working on the problem. So it's not a, uh, it's not one of these listed property situations where you might be looking at putting up a thousand dollars earnest money or something of that nature. Uh, Question answer week on real life, real estate, 877-772-9658. Send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Any questions you have today are uh, very welcome since you are the show. Again, 877-772-9658 or askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing where it's question and answer week. 877-772-9658 is the number you call with your questions, you can also send an email to askvina at gmail.com. That's ask V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. While we're awaiting our next listener question, um, let's talk about being careful about where you get your advice. Uh, I have been carefully sort of monitoring a couple of the online forums that are out there right now that uh, have between dozens and in some cases hundreds or thousands of folks uh, giving each other advice about everything from specific deals to more general things like how to get started. And it's been my uh, observation that in in many of these uh, unmonitored forums where anybody can jump in and say just about anything and no one's ever going to notice it, there is some information being given out that is, uh, if not incorrect, <laughs> then uh, incomplete. And it's very easy, particularly when you have no knowledge or very limited knowledge about some particular topic in real estate, to believe something because it is stated with great passion and 
and the person seems so sure of themselves and the, 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 the detail in their answer is so enormous that you don't know any better. And so it seems like a really great idea. And um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's good advice. And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying pay for your advice. There's some, there's some uh, you know, excellent forums out there that allow people to share information. And generally, if the forums are open enough, if someone tells you something wrong, someone else is going to come in and tell you something right. But uh, I just, I've, I've seen some things and, and what, what really set me off on this is uh, I was at a um, Central Ohio real estate and entrepreneurs meeting yesterday. And I was approached by a fellow who was a new investor who told me that somebody on one of these forums or apparently more than one person on one of these forums had, had told him a year ago, the very first thing he needed to do if he was going to get into real estate investing was fix his credit. And he's been working for a year on fixing his credit, not on finding deals, not on rounding up other types of financing or figuring out a strategy, but rather fixing his credit. And, and I thought, wow, you know, so few of the active real estate investors I know are really relying on their credit in order to buy and sell properties that 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 was a that was a piece of advice that um, it could have used a second opinion. Let me say it that way, because that's a, a long time to spend dealing with something that was apparently one man's opinion. And uh, most folks would have told you uh, there were other things that you might have focused on other than that, that would have put you further ahead after a year than having a 100 point bump in your credit score. So multiple opinions are always good. Just because somebody states something strongly does not mean it is true. And just because someone believes something uh, that is true for them doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be true for you. So as confusing as it can be, to ask multiple people the same question and get multiple answers, the multiple answers are usually the right ones because you uh, sort of get different opinions. It drives new investors in particular crazy when they ask a question and the answer is, well, it depends. But so often it does in fact depend. It depends on your situation. It depends on the particulars of the deal that go beyond just, oh, it's a five-room, three-bedroom, and it's worth this much money. And um, it's always better to to ask more than, more than one person, no matter how passionate the first person seems about the answer. There's very few hard and fast rules that would not depend on the situation, the your situation, the... Uh, financing, you were getting on a deal, the exit strategy for the deal, the details of the condition, and so on. So just be careful out there in education world. Uh, just received a question via email at askvina at gmail.com. This is from JC in Las Vegas. The question is, can you talk about learning to read a HUD before seeing one at the closing What common and what common errors people need to watch out for. Um, HUD, ladies and gentlemen, is a shorthand way that a lot of real estate agents, mortgage brokers, and real estate entrepreneurs use to describe the HUD-1 settlement statement, which is that uh, 11 by or eight, eight and a half by 14 piece of paper that you get handed at a closing with all the lines on it. And it says things like um, tax prorations and purchase price and seller and buyer and their signature lines on it. 
And they are something that you're going to hopefully be looking at a lot if you're a full-time real estate investor because you'll be buying houses and you'll be selling houses. And you do, in fact, need to understand how to read them because there are some things on that HUD one that are initially going to be very confusing, uh, particularly things like the tax prorations um, in many parts of the country when you pay your real estate taxes, you are actually paying the taxes that accrued six months ago or a year ago, but are not due until today. So you'll see these tax prorations that's, that uh, maybe the taxes on the property are only a total of 2800 a year, but the tax proration is 3200 and you can't figure out why it's so much. Well, the answer is the bill that you paid on January 1st only paid you up through January 1st of last year. And now that it's April, there's several more months of taxes that have accrued. And when you sell them, those all get paid off. Now, what's even more confusing is they don't actually get paid off. They don't actually usually come out of the seller's proceeds and get sent off to the tax folks. Instead, what they get is credited over to the buyer side since they are not, in fact, due yet. So instead of the seller paying 3200 bucks as a check to the treasurer or auditor or whatever you call that in your area... Uh, the buyers, the amount of money the buyer has to bring to the closing is reduced by $3,200. And that's how those numbers get so strange down at the bottom. You know, why am I, I'm paying, I'm paying $150,000 for this house. Why am I only, only having to bring 137 to closing? Well, that's because of, of credits that, if you know how to read the HUD one, are right there. And yes, uh, these closing statements, for whatever reason, are often uh, rife with errors of various sorts. You should always read them, no matter who prepared them, whether it was your attorney, the other attorney, the bank, it doesn't matter who prepared them. Always read them side by side with the purchase contract. Make sure everything is where it belongs. Um, some closing companies, escrow companies, attorneys who are doing closings make assumptions about how the expenses are to be divided up based on whatever local tradition is. If your contract said something different, for instance, if you negotiated with the seller and said, I'll pay this low price, and he said, okay, but you have to pay the transfer tax, which would usually be mine, you need to check the closing state and make sure the transfer taxes and expense on your side of the HUD one, not on the seller's side. Otherwise, you'll have an angry seller when you show up to that closing the next day. So great question. One of those little detail things that uh, they're, not, they're not massively exciting or sexy, but it is something that you end up dealing with and probably ought to know something about. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. You can send your questions in via email. The address is askvina at gmail.com. You can also call your questions in, which is somewhat easier for all of us if you are uh, going to ask a compl complicated question where I'm going to say, well, that depends. Are you X or are you Y? The number to call is 877-772-9658. Question here from, uh, where'd the question go? I flipped back over and I got a send receive box. There we go. Uh, this is from Andrew, who I believe here is here in Cincinnati. This question would have been probably for Jeff Watson, the attorney who was on a few weeks ago talking about the SAFE Act, uh, because the message body is, can you charge a potential home buyer for the fee 
for the fee for the licensed mortgage broker. In other words, uh, when you are selling properties to homeowners on something like a land contract or an owner-held mortgage, and you do that more than once in a year, the SAFE Act uh, says that you really need to do that through a person called a licensed mortgage originator, and that person is going to want to charge a fee for that um, service that they are providing. Uh, the, the reality of it is many of the home buyers who are buying properties that way uh, simply would not have the money to pay that processing fee, even, even were it allowed uh, for you to charge them for it. So that's something, Andrew, that you probably ought to have built into your down payment and expect to pay it yourself. His second question is, is proof by the licensed mortgage broker, it's actually originator, sufficient to sufficient, or do you also need to keep documentation? If the investor seller keeps documentation, does he have to meet the security rules of the creditor originator as required by credit law? Uh, the answer is you keep everything, Andrew. If you've gone through all of this, all of, jumped through all of these hoops to make sure that your loans are SAFE Act compliant, you are going to want a copy of everything in that file, including the original application, including uh, all the researching that was done to assure that the person did, in fact, make enough money to afford this house, copies of W-2s. Um, if you, if the, uh, you or the mortgage originator spoke to the employer, the notes on who you spoke to, what they said, et cetera, all of that stuff you need to keep in your files. And yes, you are correct in that if that information contains things like social security numbers, there are rules about exactly how you have to keep that secured to avoid potential identity theft of your homeowners. Now, again, as a practical matter, the reason they're buying the property from you with owner financing is that uh, their credit's not great anyway. But that does not mean you don't get to you don't get to ignore the credit originator rules because uh, you think, well, this person doesn't have good enough credit for anyone to want to steal. Doesn't work that way. It's real life real estate investing. It's question and answer week. During this break, I will be sitting here anxiously awaiting your questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. We're sitting here, Mike and I, looking at each other, thinking, what shall we ask each other if no one if no one asks any questions? 877-772-9658 or askvina at gmail.com for your questions. Let's go to line one and talk to Erica, who's here in Cincinnati. Erica, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi. Um, hi, I have a question, um, and it's about some properties that we have in, actually they're in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and the properties are, um, have a lot of tax liens due on them. Um, there's no mortgage, but there are water bill liens on the properties and tax liens. Mm-hmm. Um, and we basically just want to kind of be done get get out from underneath them and and pass them on to somebody that can um do the work that needs to be done we're actually living in cincinnati the houses are in pittsburgh um and we really don't even want any money for them um 
So do you have any recommendations on how we could how we could get these to the right people? Um, and unfortunately, the tax liens are substantial um, and probably, you know, are about what the properties are worth. Um, plus, someone would have to do some significant rehab to them. Uh-huh. Uh, Erica, so it's tell a me. Tricky. Well, for, first of all, first of all, let me say thank you so much for calling because you are the person that I keep telling all these listeners exists out in the world. You you are you are the motivated seller. You have you right. have no emotional connection to these properties at all. You don't live anywhere near them. There's no chance you're going to walk in there and, you know, do all the work so that you can sell them for full value and and you're saying exactly what motivated sellers say, which is take them off my hands and make me even and I'll be I'll be happy with yes. that. So that's awesome. Exactly. Uh, secondly, uh, what I'm what I'm gonna I'm gonna have you um, uh, leave your name and number with the uh, gal who answered the phone initially because I do actually have some folks up there who, if if this is a solvable problem, can solve it for you. And great. That's great. The answer the answer always in these sorts of situations is call an investor because the from what you're describing about these properties, they're not the sort of property that a homeowner is going to look at and say, wow, I can fix this up myself, that it might need a little bit more work than the average person can handle. But that's what real estate investors do is massive amounts of work to houses. So um, tell me just, uh, were these rentals? Is that why you have more than one? Um, They were supposed to be rentals. Um, Actually, um, my husband and I, we just got married um, last year, and my husband bought them seven years ago before we met, mm-hmm. um, and it was a very similar transaction. There were tax planes, and he got them for basically nothing, um, and except assuming all the liens that were on the properties. They're all located um, in the same block, so his plan was to kind of renovate them um, and be all in the same area. Um, not have to move equipment around. Um, and then um, we had, he, he ended up moving to Cincinnati. Um, I had some, he actually, kind of a neat twist to this story is um, he donated his kidney to me. Um, and it's kind of, the whole project has just kind of been on the back burner because of obvious reasons. So, um, yes, they were rented at one time, but unfortunately it was to a person that, you know, wouldn't pay, and we were in Cincinnati, and it was obviously not a priority to track down this person, and so it just, it never came to fruition. I have to ask, did did he donate the kidney before or after you married him? He donated (laughs) the kidney to me before I married him. Is that why you married him? I mean, is that like how you met? No, no, no. That'd be a great story, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, um, I I met, no, we, I actually have known him for a really long time, um, and he was friends with um, my cousin, and um, he um, came to Cincinnati on my 30th birthday, and um, basically never left. Um, but no, he's been with me on this whole journey. I've been sick for several years and, um, I needed a kidney and my, my, it's actually crazy. My brother who lives in, in Hamilton, my, um, mom and Eric, um, were all tested and he was a better match than even my brother, which is pretty, um, pretty rare. So, well, that's an awesome story. Um, but yeah, 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 I, I love it. Okay, so let's go back to the rentals for a minute. How many of them are there? Okay, um, there are three. Okay. Um, 
and they are different sizes. One of the houses is actually very large, um, and at one point it was a VA respite, so it was kind of broken into like almost like a dormitory, Mm -hmm. Um, so like small rooms, Mm -hmm. which in Pittsburgh is, it's not a bad situation because in Pittsburgh, unlike Cincinnati, and maybe it happens in Cincinnati, I'm just not aware of it, but people do room rentals um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we'll have a common kitchen and and share that space, but, you know, we'll have their little room. So Mm -hmm. um, I think at one point, 12, um, 12 veterans lived in this house in, in different rooms. So it's, it's about 5,500 square feet. Wow. Um, yeah, it's big. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's been our problem that people, it's a little bit daunting for the, the people that we've, um, been in touch with, you know, just through Craigslist and through different online ways of getting people interested. I think they just look at it and think this is bigger than I can handle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and your ideal so. situation would be to, to, to sell all three to the same person so that you don't end up with one leftover that you just absolutely exactly. can't get rid of. Uh, do you know well, what- yeah, and there is one that's that kind of probably in better shape than the others. So we were thinking the same thing. We don't want it, someone to just cherry pick the better one and then we're stuck with Mm-hmm. The one that we can't get rid of. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, is your is your feel for them that they're pretty well stripped? I mean, are they gonna? Um, sadly, you mean as far as like the architecture and like the um, plumbing the gone, wiring gone. Um, you know, a lot of that is. Um, one of the houses is actually pretty pretty good. Um, it it needs the electricity turned back on, um, but. You know, unfortunately, right before he he acquired them, the person before him um, took out all the beautiful um, mantles, and this is out of the Baker house, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of the woodwork and banisters and things like that. So, I mean, there, there's there's a banister, and it's you know, it's fun, it, it's you know, standing. It's not that it would need knocked down or anything, but mm-hmm. um, I think probably a lot of that would need to be either redone or at least you know, assessed. Okay. So, so probably, and I know you guys probably don't go up there and visit every week and (laughs) check the condition. Well, we do more than you'd think. (laughs) (laughs) But, but probably they're complete rehabs one way or another, right? I think that's fair to say. Yes. Okay. And, and what is the total amount of the tax liens? So, um, on the, on the larger one or the total, total, total. Yes. uh, For all three. Yep. Um, is about a hundred and twenty thousand dollars. What? Yeah. Are these are these property Crazy, right? taxes? Well, this is property taxes and um, water lien, water bill liens. How long has it been since the property taxes were paid? It has been. They hadn't been paid um, for. It's been a long time. <laughs> a long time. I mean, I can't tell you exactly, um, but it's been a long time. Okay. And, you know, you would think that why isn't the city taking these? That's exactly you know, what just, I was thinking, yes. <laughs> and apparently in Pittsburgh there are um, over 100,000 properties that are in need, you know, are in the system to be taken by the city. So it's so far down on the radar mm-hmm. that, um, I mean, most, most of the people that we've consulted have said, just let these go through the system. Just let them just walk away, mm-hmm. which A, doesn't feel completely right to me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I would rather see them, you know, just in, out of respect for the neighbors and the people that are trying to make that, that community nice. I would rather see them 
you know, something done with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and B, I think it's something that would take a long, long time to actually go through the system. Apparently so. Um, if they will, if they will let it get that far behind in in the taxes before just auctioning them off, that's uh, that's. I've heard of very high tax liens. That is extraordinary. I mean, you're talking about forty thousand plus on each property. Uh, the water bill liens. How much of those are the actual bill, and and how much are, would be? Are there penalties on top of the actual bills, or are those? Uh, Oh yeah, those include all the penalties and everything. Okay, um, my my guess would be, and and this is this is a pure guess because I've never bought a property in Pittsburgh specifically, but my guess would be that some of those penalties could be negotiated away by a new buyer, so so it might not be as ugly uh-huh. as it looks here quite. And a new buyer, uh, if if I were that new buyer and I decided that you know, roughly 35 to 40 a piece would be an okay price. And I don't know the answer to that either because I don't know uh, the neighborhood or condition. I would probably go to the city first before, I mean, maybe I'd sign a contract with you and say, I'm going to go to the city and what they tell me is going to be the determining factor about whether we close or not and try and work out some kind of payment plan on the taxes. Because if they can, if they could, if the city could make it attractive and you know, spread those out over a some period of time at a reasonable rate. That might make it um, that might make it doable. Uh, but if you, as as I said, I will I will refer you to some folks if they tell you that the thing to do is go through the program and just mm-hmm. let them go back. Uh, you probably should go through the program and let them go back, unless of course you win the lottery, in which case you can go up there and do whatever you want to with them. But throwing in throwing in uh, good money after bad at this point is yeah, right. maybe not the right financial decision for you. And generally, when a property is taken back for tax liens, there's no repercussions on your credit. That doesn't, that doesn't right. show up on... The, 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 the property tax folks, the, what they can do to you if you don't pay your property taxes is take your property. They can't then also come after you and right. say, ha, huh, we're also going to collect from you personally. Do you have any insight about like pushing these through like a treasury sale or something, some way to to expedite those processes um, or kind of going to them and saying, Hey, you know, just take, take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately it, it does not work that way in most places. And if you're tell if the, if that number that you're saying that they've got a hundred thousand dollars, they've got a hundred thousand properties with overdue taxes, which I mean, that sounds like a high number to me, but I, it, it could, yeah, it, it does could, sound like a high number, but that's just what we've been told. It, it could be a very large number, um, n- nonetheless, because I, I've seen I've seen places in Ohio where uh, it takes three to four years for the county to foreclose for taxes, and and it, it's you know it doesn't really do anybody any good because when somebody gets into a position like you're in, the it's 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 not like they're it's going to fix itself right it's a, <laughs> no one's gonna right. no one's going to come in there and and you know rehab that property with all those tax liens on it so it would actually be to the county's uh, and the neighborhood's benefit to push those through more quickly but you know it is what it is if they're overloaded uh, administratively then then there you go uh, there's there's very little chance that that's going to happen now one thing that you might want to look at is whether there are whether there's some sort of system by which those properties could be donated to something along the lines of a nonprofit mm-hmm. association who could then, by virtue of the fact that they are a nonprofit association, get those liens reduced, wiped out, and so on. Not every state has 
that sort of system in place. Uh, Ohio does. <laughs> we have what's called land banks. So if I were to if I were to pick up the phone and call the treasurer in Pittsburgh, I would say, do you have something like a land bank that could that could take this property? get the taxes released rather than paid off and then do what they wanted with it and, you know, take, take, right. take the money or whatever. Uh, that may or may not exist. Those exist in a couple of states I'm aware of. I don't know about Pennsylvania. Yeah, it does exist. And we've talked to them about, we've talked to, there's a nonprofit group and we've talked to them. And unfortunately what they have to go through the same system that all of these other treasury sales go through. Um, so you're looking at maybe two years um, for even to get it into the hands of a nonprofit. Um, so, but these are those are all great suggestions. I mean, we can keep trying um, and maybe try to find some some better ways to expedite it um, because it sounds like that's probably the right way to do it is just somehow get these liens wiped. Mm-hmm. And in the hands of the right person, but well, and I unfortunately, can, it's probably going to take a little more time than we. I can tell like. it's. I can tell it's. It's keeping you up at night, despite the fact that yeah. you know, you didn't really quote do anything wrong here or anything of that nature. But uh, as I said, if you can, uh, I'm not sure if when Mike puts you on hold here, if you're going to go back to the to the to the other number or not. Sometimes it cuts people off. If it does, just call back and leave your name and number, okay. and I will. Um, uh, refer you to a couple people I know in the Pittsburgh area, but I do very much appreciate your call because listeners who are actually in the real estate business, this is exactly how motivated seller calls go. <laughs> you find out, you find out what the problem well, if there's is. There's anyone out there that wants property in Pittsburgh. <laughs> now that I've revealed all the dirty laundry about it, I'm sure well, there are a ton of people interested. That's what you have to do um, if you want to sell it. You tell you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, exactly. and see who steps and that's, forward. That's how we want to be. That's exactly how we want to be. Is very open and upfront about the situation, and um, hopefully, you know, get them into the hands of somebody that can make money and and do you know and, and house people and all those good things. So. Thank you so, so much. All right. Thank you very much for your call, Erica. Hold on there, and we will get your phone number. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what I'm talking about. That's a motivated seller, and that's how those calls go. So, yay! Best question answer week ever. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.